guys and gals, welcome to the Oxford Holy Club, a place where we ready ourselves to give an answer for the hope that's in us. We will also try to answer your questions, random questions from the interwebs, and have some fun too. So put some seatbelts on your ears because we're in for a wild ride. Well, hey, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Oxford Holy Club. Here with your host, Brad Silliker, your hostess with the mostess. I am joined by, I'm not sure how this podcast is going to go today. I am joined by two very special guests. Now, just a word uh, of warning. I'm traveling. I'm in Calgary right now. And I've, I've set up in the home of two friends, uh, Joel and Helen Thiessen. Did I get your name right? You did. Last name right? I was, I was super concerned that I maybe was mispronouncing the last name. Nailed it. I, well, because I was, I, I've heard a couple of different people today say it differently. Oh, for do, real. Do share. Uh, well, uh, I, it, there was just a different, different, um, what's the word? Uh, uh, I've heard Tyson. I've heard okay. Thiessen. Oh, that's there. They, I heard Thies, I heard Thiessen yeah, today. Yeah. Yep. yeah. Silent H. Now, Helen, uh, I will say, just so you know, this is an audio-only medium, so people can't see or hear your facial expressions. Or when you laugh, it's good to actually laugh out loud so they can hear I'll it. I'll laugh a lot. <laughs> I right. laugh a lot. Well, thank you, guys. Um, these two were very kind to invite me over for supper, and I rewarded them by asking if they would come on the podcast. And I'm going to get into a little bit later of how I know them, but first, I'm going to just kind of go through a little bit of their bios so that you, the listener, get to know them. But again, thank you, listener, for, uh, for being here with us, and we hope that you'll enjoy the show. So, Joel, I'm going to start with you. Actually, uh, Dr. Dr. Joel. Can I call you that? You can call me whatever you like. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, Joel is a professor of sociology and the director of the Flourishing Congregations Institute, and that's through Ambrose University. Is that all correct? That is true. All right, Joel, hold on, because I'm going to tell you all about yourself. Joel, a psychologist passionate about learning. Oh, and I'm going to have to stop you there. Sociologist. Yeah, there we go. Darn it. Yeah, that's okay. Don't want to don't confuse the two of us. Joel. This is making for a great, great interview. Joel, a sociologist passionate about learning and excellence from the classroom instructing students to the research field, gathering data to consulting settings, bridging sociological knowledge with real world concerns. For Joel, the sociological perspective enables us to think carefully, critically, and scientifically about human attitudes and behaviors, often challenging common sense myths with sound empirical data. As a sociologist, of re Sorry, I shouldn't have said it like that. No, I appreciated that. Yeah. I hope there's psychologists listening to this. Okay. Uh, as a sociologist of religion who specializes in religion in Canada, his academic interest developed as an undergrad student at Nazarene University College. Joel obtained his MA and PhD at the University of Waterloo before heading to Ambrose University in Calgary, Alberta in 2008, where he currently serves as a professor of sociology and director of the Flourishing Congregations Institute. He's married to Helen, who's sitting here to his right. They have a dog named Shadow who licked my hand a little while ago. That was weird. He's an avid sports fan and a drummer and enjoys reading biographies, traveling, and exercising. Joel, welcome to the show. Thanks, man. Great to be here. All right. Helen. Yep. Hi, Helen. Helen is the executive director of enrollment management at Ambrose University and the field youth coordinator for the Church of the Nazarene Canada. As a graduate of Ambrose and a former youth pastor from Canada Central District, Helen is passionate about seeing young people grow in their potential for Christ's call in their lives, as well as supporting our youth workers across Canada. 
basically passionate about Ambrose, our youth, and our youth workers. I kind of paused there because I thought I misread something. No, you got it. Basically passionate about Ambrose, our youth workers, and our youth. Helen holds a BA in behavioral sciences and an MA in professional communications. You're a professional communicator? Apparently. The bar just went like, (laughs) I know the listener can't see the bar that I'm setting, but I have a a higher expectation now from you as a professional communicator. You're doing awesome. This is great. I'm a little stressed out now that I realize that you're actually like trained in communication. (laughs) Try being married to a person like that. Oh, shoot. Well, guys... Uh, super excited and glad that you've chosen to spend your evening with me in your house. <laughs> Our pleasure. All right. Now, I, I chose this question from Yahoo Answers because, listener, I want you to know, I just had an amazing home-cooked meal, barbecued chicken. Um, was it rigatoni with, no, was that right? Rig, spinach rigatoni, um, some, some cooked vegetables and, and just uh, Alfredo sauce. Alfredo sauce. Good. It, it was an amazing meal, very filling. But, but someone on Yahoo Answers, and, and I, the listener knows, and I explained to you guys before, uh, there's this website I frequent to find just silly, you know, silly questions that maybe we can just take a time, take a time. Maybe we could just take a time to answer. <laughs> Let's. Let's. So the question is this, guys. Why do people still cook? Now, now here's the context, because this person gives some context. It seems so antiquated to me. Why would you ever buy food and cook it yourself when you can order it and have it delivered to your door already prepared? I haven't cooked a thing in years. Drive, they meant to say drive-throughs, and they wrote drive thus. But anyway, <laughs> drive-throughs have been a thing for decades. <laughs> yet, yet I can't see why cooking wouldn't become obsolete. So to all the cookers out there, why do you waste your time, energy, and money? Wow. Wow. That, that question's vicious. It's pretty harsh. What do you guys think about that? It is, is cooking a waste of your time, energy, and money? No, you know, it's a great hobby, and you hear more and more people doing that, and great way to learn. Yeah. Learn about different parts of the world, uh, things that you're cooking, and food is, uh, well, we all like food, and it brings people together. So, uh, And I think it's cheaper and maybe even healthier than the fast food option all the time anyways, and I like my fast food. All right. That was a, that was a really good answer. <laughs> I just think it's fun, and you have to eat, so you come home and you cook. But when I get home, I'm hungry, Helen, and what if... <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. My husband's on sabbatical. So he cooks. Uh, now, for the, for the listener that maybe doesn't know what that means, could you please just quickly explain what a sabbatical is? Uh, Heads up, listener, I don't know. Okay, <laughs> no, go ahead, guys. Sure. It's uh, a bit of time away from teaching and administrative work to work on different research projects, writing, presenting, and so forth. So some concentrated time to think, to read, uh, to study, and to, yeah, produce some research. So that is different than a vacation. Uh, it's definitely different than there, a vacation. There is a, there's a purpose behind the sabbatical. That's true. Uh, of which some is a little bit of rest and relaxation, sure. but not the primary purpose. All right. Do you think if you work at a place like a Wendy's, you can get a sabbatical? <laughs> not everybody, even who works at a university, gets a sabbatical. Really? Look, th- this is how this podcast works. <laughs> we, just, we, just we just take these nuggets of gold and we, you gold. Know, we refine. Anyway... Um, how does that work then? I'm now I'm actually, I'm legitimately curious listener. If you're not fast forward 15 seconds <laughs> is an administration. You don't get sabbatical time. Uh, 
But basically, you're not needing to research more and contribute back to society more. You're the function of making university happen. Whereas teaching, you have to be on top of your game. You have to be researching. You have to be keeping uh, on top, doing that. And the best way to do that is out of the classroom so that when you go back to the classroom, you actually know more and can help guide more. That makes sense. Oh, Joel. That was, that was good. I have that, nothing to add. Wow. That was, that was great. <laughs> that was excellent. Yeah. Now, Helen, I will ask, and this is, you know, I'm sorry to ask you this. Uh, could, could you, I'll edit this out. Could you speak up just a touch? Okay, I'll speak up more. Thanks. Not, not editing that out now. Um, okay. Now, I will say when I, when I read this question, you know, I definitely, Joel, I agree with you. I think that, uh, and, and Helen, it's healthier for sure. I think it is cheaper to cook your own food. Um, unless you're going, it seems like it costs more money to, to actually eat healthy today. That's true. You know, um, I've got two boxes of chicken nuggets in my freezer. <laughs> uh, look, it's, you know, mm-hmm. yep. and what would it cost to get the equivalent amount of chicken, you know, anyway, I also think though, but I thought of this and I thought when the apocalypse happens, you know, you're looking at me like it's not coming guys, but listen, it's coming. Okay. Uh, when that happens, I'm, uh, look, first places that are going to get raided are fast foods and groceries and all that, right? But if you don't know how to cook, you're toast. I'm just saying. <laughs> it's a good point. It's it a is good a good point. point. You know you know, there's preppers right now in their bunkers <laughs> like, that are learning the culinary skills necessary to survive. Survive. Whether you believe it's the zombie apocalypse or just, a, you know, um, but you didn't think this was going there, did you? <laughs> Why not? Uh, Pastor Brad. <clears throat> yeah, hey, hey now. <laughs> all right. Well, that's why people should still cook, listener, because you need to be able to survive the apocalypse, and it's a good practice, and it's healthier for you, and I think you save, uh, I think you save money. You know, if you if you can you can do it well, support your local growers as well. Let's get that out there, hey. And we're so torn with being more convenient and Very what much cost. So. so why can we not take time to cook and enjoy? It's more than just actually producing food at the end. It's the time together. It's the time preparation and the time in serving. That's a little deep, maybe. But no, no, that <laughs> Helen, that's good. Uh, we haven't even gotten to the deep questions yet. Oh, you're such a holy person. <laughs> <laughs> All right, here comes a hypothetical for you guys. <clears throat> if a group of mice come into your home, I I wish I had time in this podcast to tell you what happened the last time a mouse came into my house. Maybe Whoa. if we have time. If we have time. Um, okay. So here's some options I'd like you to explore. So if a group of mice, not just one, a group come into your home, do you a attempt to shoo them out of your house? B lay traps to catch and or kill them. C accept that you can never get rid of them all or D give them a warm welcome accompanied by free healthcare and unlimited government assistance. <laughs> <laughs> Joel. Well, it's not really a hypothetical. We haven't had mice in our house, but we live right by a big open field. And so there's mice yeah. in our yard all the time. And so we're always thinking about this, but uh, I would have to pick. Wait, option. you're always thinking about one of these four options? <laughs> well, no, I'm thinking about option A or B. Uh, okay. I am going to get them out and yeah. remove them perhaps from the world. Maybe that's not a holy answer, but no. Yes. Uh, hey, it's, it's us or them. Yeah, that's, that's right. Helen? I give a good effort to get them out. But if not, then there's nothing you can do. Welcome them. No, welcome them. Embrace them. If you can't get rid of them, 
it's not like I want them around, but Listener, we have been I successful wish... in getting rid of them. So what can we do? I wish you could see the look the two of these people are sharing <laughs> right now. One is utter disgust that they would welcome mice. The other is like, what, what, what are we going to do? Does, no what about Shadow? Does Shadow have any, does, does Shadow do deal with mice at all? She does like to chase them. She can sniff them out where they have their standard areas in the backyard and she will constantly sniff in those areas and try to jump. I don't know if she's actually seen one. Definitely never caught one. She's not that smart. Um, but she, she can sniff them out. Okay. Um, I'm going to very quickly give you a very fast story of what happened to me. Uh, we had a mouse in the house, which rhymes. And, uh, and it was the middle of the night and this mouse was running and we have a cat and the, this, the cat was chasing it all over the house. I woke up to the cat playing with the mouse. This is, it's twice now that this has happened, but this time was unique. Um, the cat was playing with the mouse, running back and forth with it, batting it around. It caught it in its mouth, held it, and didn't do anything with it. Ugh. And so I get up to go deal with that. And I know what you're thinking. Brad's just going to take care of it. Manly man. <laughs> you can just grab a hold of that mouse. I don't like mice. I don't want anything to do with them. And so I'm, I, uh, I grab a broom and... And just as I get it, the cat lets the mouse go and the mouse takes off into the bathroom. So the cat follows. So this is all happening middle of the night. My kid, we're all on the same floor, like the upper level. The kids are asleep and Mandy's uh, in bed and I'm now trying to get this mouse in the bathroom. And I couldn't get it. I was like poking with the broom. I wound up breaking the broom that night. Um, well, we're going to get there. <laughs> I... Uh, I shut, eventually I shut my, my daughter woke up and she's like, what's going on? I'm like, there's a mouse. It's okay. I shut the bathroom door so that the, that the cat would hopefully deal with it. That didn't happen. So then I, what I had hoped was that the mouse would just kind of, as it was running, would come out of the door, like underneath a little yeah, bit. Yeah. And then I would get it with the broom, um, which a broom is made of bristles. I'm not really sure what I thought those would do, but anyway, that didn't happen. So I opened up the bathroom door. The mouse takes off, goes into my son's room, into his closet. And so at this point, I'm frustrated. I'm upset. It's, you know, like 3, 3.30 in the morning, and I'm angry now with this, this mouse. So I, I went to my office, middle of the night. My, the church is right beside where I live. And, uh, and so I went to my office, and I have a, a BB gun. It's like a hand BB gun. Mm -hmm. This is good. Yeah. Uh, so I grabbed that, and I went... <laughs> you imagine anyone coming, like, seeing the church lights flip on and this <laughs> guy with this shiny silver pistol... So I go back over to the house and I start unloading BBs onto this mouse and it will not die. Well, eventually, that's not a quiet thing. My son wakes up only to see his father with using his, using his phone as a flashlight, a broom <laughs> under one arm and a pistol in the other, lining up this mouse. And, uh, and he's like, Daddy, what are you doing? Oh, no. Like, buddy, there's a mouse. Do you want to help me? So then he gets down, he holds the flashlight for me while I'm trying to shoot this mouse. I run out of BBs. I run out of BBs. And so now my son's job is to collect the BBs while I keep the mouse trapped. Oh. And eventually the mouse comes and we're able to get it trapped under the broom and all this. So this is all happening. My daughter is awake in her bed, worried about what's happening. Is daddy trying to kill the mouse? And Mandy's in there now going, no, no, dear. She's, he's, he's just trying to put it to sleep. I eventually killed the mouse swept it up onto the dustpan, came into Harmony's room triumphantly because I thought she was worried about this mouse. And I go, the mouse is dead. <laughs> oh, my little oh. girl's devastated. Uh -huh. Father of the year did not no. come through. Jaden, my son was super proud. Harmony was not impressed. So she had to, she wanted to come see the mouse. Can I see it, daddy? Oh, 
What are you going to do with it? Well, hon, I'm going to take it outside and throw it in the field. Can I come? So oh, now no. I've got, in one hand, I've got this dead mouse in a dustpan, my daughter in the other arm. I'm going downstairs. I go outside, starts pouring rain. <laughs> so <laughs> we take, sad this, story. take this stupid mouse to the field and we say our goodbyes and we throw it and she goes back to bed and oh. yeah. Well, what was the question? I don't know. Joel usually chases the mouse in the backyard with a shovel, trying to whack it. Yep. Like whack a molly out back. Yep. I'm one for a hundred. <laughs> one for a hundred. <laughs> yep. Oh, uh, shoot. Well, uh, that's kind of what happens in the Silica household. <laughs> Helen, you seem way more um, welcoming. Well, if you can't do anything about it, you're not going to let it upset me. Just get on with it. Let him in. Let them in. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Have fun with that, Joel. Yeah, thanks. Well, uh, guys... One of the reasons why I was really excited to get you both on the episode today was just to have some time to talk with you uh, just about who you are, what you do, what you're involved with, and and get you know spend some time you know sharing you with the world. Have I mentioned that we have two fans? <laughs> two. Two. <laughs> <laughs> Including my mom. Okay, <laughs> wondered. Actually, uh, while I while I've been in Calgary, a friend sent me a picture and said you have to put this on Instagram. It's a picture of our review page on Instagram. Yeah, we have one review, five stars. My mom. Oh, mom, uh, thank you for listening. I love you. Yes, I could say so much about this, but I won't. <laughs> Did you have a similar story? I I do in the social media world. <laughs> really? Yes, and Twitter and yes, it's always the parents who are first to like it. And I was with our research team once, and. Uh, they're like, oh, who's, they, and they named my parents. They're like, who are these people? They keep liking our stuff. I was like, yeah, that'll be my parents. <laughs> love it. So t- tell them. Tell them how much you love them. Oh, greatly, greatly. There you go. Yes. Right. You know they listen to the podcast. Your mom's awesome. I'm going to send her the po- podcast. Your mom and dad are your biggest supporters. That, that they are. That they are. Well, guys, as we move into this kind of segment, I would love to uh, kind of pick your brains about a few things. And Joel, we read in your bio about, um, you know, your role at the university and, and the different things that you're involved in. But right now, I think one of the things that's really prevalent for you, if, I, if, I'm, if I'm correct, is this flourishing congregation, um, the, you know, the institute that you're the director of. Yep. And, and could you explain to us what that, what that means, what, that's, you know, what your research is and, sure, and sure. lay it out for us? Yeah, yeah. So... We have lots of research on religion and churches and congregations in the United States. We have very little in Canada. And okay. we know that Canada has a different historical context, social context, etc. So our institute simply exists to study congregations in Canada, to have Canadian data on congregational life. And within that, uh, we're trying to understand where are the signs of life and vitality in Christian communities mm-hmm. uh, in Canada. I mean, there's lots of research out there, my own included, that looks at religious decline, why people are leaving the church and so forth. And these yeah. are important, um, but we don't know much about where are the signs of life and what can we learn from them? So the Institute is here to uh, study churches where uh, flourishing is present and to study across the continuum of Catholic, mainline, conservative Protestants and to study coast to coast. So what's church like in the Maritimes and how's that different from Pacific Canada and everything yeah. in between? And have you found in your study that there is, quite, is, there, is there a big discrepancy, you know, from, I mean, my context is the Nazarene church or the Protestant church. So yeah. in, in, um, 
you know, in Eastern Canada versus, you know, Pacific. Is, have you found that there's uh, much difference? Yeah, there are some differences. I mean, for example, as you know, from the Maritimes, uh, it's a different context because you have uh, an aging population, a highly rural context. People are moving away, so depopulation. Uh, some of those dynamics are different than, say, in British Columbia. Uh, sorry, and I'll just add in the Maritimes, you have the highest rates of those who affiliate with Christianity, who are actively involved compared mm. to any other region in the country. And then you go to British Columbia, where almost one in two say they have no religion, increasingly so, wow. have not been raised within a religious home, have no context. So those things matter. They impact how congregations um, either do or I would say should think about what they're doing. Hmm. So as a sociologist, you, you look at the, the trends in society and, and all these things. And I know that you've, we, we've talked before, and I've actually been, I think, through a seminar of yours before. You talked about religious nuns and and all that. Could you explain that a little bit? Because when I, and I'm not trying to be funny, but when yeah, I first yeah. heard that, I thought of the Catholic nuns. <laughs> that's right. That's right. right. What does that look like? Because you kind of in BC, if someone's identifying as no religion, and that I'm sure that happens everywhere. Are they classified then in this as a, a religious nun? Yeah. Yeah. So religious nun is someone who, uh, on the Canadian census, we use that as our base measure. Uh, when they're asked what religion, if any, do you identify with? When they say no religion, that's technically a religious nun. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and so. You've looked at all this data, and, and am I right to say the hope of, of this flourishing congregations, I think you said all this, is to identify the, the, where, where churches are growing and where things are going well and identifying what that looks like, and, and that data is then um, disseminated or distributed across the country? Is that? Yeah, that's that's very much what we're doing. What's interesting, we did uh, some interviews and focus groups with pastors across the country and we asked them, you know, when you think of a flourishing congregation, what comes to mind? And there was this uh, sharp distinction between some who associated numeric growth with flourishing mm-hmm. and some who were very adamant that flourishing had little, if anything, to do with numeric growth. So I would say that we aren't exclusively looking at congregations that are growing numerically, okay. though that is one aspect. We're really trying trying to measure how do leaders and congregants define flourishing? What do they mean by that? Uh, And then trying to study those varied uh, definitions and aspects of, uh, of flourishing in a variety of contexts then. So as you're looking, and I'm not sure how far along you are in this, so please forgive my ignorance. Um, Are you able to talk to us at all about what you've been identifying as some key things when you see a flourishing church or a flourishing congregation? What has stood out to you? Yeah, yeah. So there's a whole bunch of stuff, and I won't take time to go through all of them. And they're on our website at um, flourishingcongregations.org, and you can see more about these different things. But um, there's a series of... Um, organizational things, um, things of of, um, how you structure an organization. There's a series of uh, internal dimensions. So things like uh, discipleship, uh, engaged laity, hospitable community, diversity, these kinds of things. Uh, And then uh, outward focused things. And this is where groups spoke very heavily about um, of a neighborhood presence. So would your neighborhood notice if your church was no longer there? Now, Many in churches will say, oh yeah, our our neighbors would notice. And what we want to study in the next phase of research is the people who actually live in that community and find out, you know, have you heard of this church? And what are your thoughts about that church? And that would give us a real test of the level of engagement, those kinds of things. And that's where you're moving into is asking those questions. Yeah, so we're gonna do, we're in the middle of a national survey right now. Uh, We're gonna do some in-depth case studies of some congregations that's, let's say a congregation is known for uh, being actively involved in its community. We're gonna go spend some time there studying the community, talking to business owners and shop owners and neighbors 
neighbors and so forth to uh, get a more holistic environmental understanding beyond just the church. Uh, yeah, to give us a, a more complete picture. I've heard a lot in church that um, there's this sense that one of the one of the ways to to grow is to really go, to think outwardly, missional, and yeah. all that. So you you mentioned um, some of the dynamics of flourishing congregations where there was some internal things, you know, dealing with the internal structure, dealing with you know discipleship. Those things kind of happen sometimes within within the building or whatever. Um, have you found? And, and I'm not sure, but have you yeah. found that there's more flourishing churches that are more missional minded than internal? Yeah, great question. I would say it's too early on to say specifically sure. on that. I, I think. My hunch is that there would be more outward uh, focused initiatives and activities for sure. I think another question we're really interested in is um, what is the fruit of those missional activities? So while people might be doing all kinds of things in the community, it doesn't necessarily mean that people are plugging into their church or um, doing different kinds of things that churches are, are interested. I think what interests us in part uh, is are there some congregations that seem to be more effective in not only being engaged in the neighborhood, in the neighborhood, but also drawing people into the community of that particular congregation? And what can we learn from those contexts on the pathways, the mechanisms, et cetera, that, that bring people into, um, into that group more, more regularly? Well, Joel, I'm curious to know, uh, for, for someone that's listening, uh, are there resources that you would point us to um, whether it's your own with flourishing uh, congregation or there are other things, you know, why don't you just talk to that? Yeah. So on our website, um, we provide a variety of resources. We, um, every couple of weeks we send out, uh, I guess we call it a newsletter, but really it's a blog that's written by a pastor, a church leader, denominational leader across the country. Maybe it's the latest research that we've been doing. We share some of those things. Uh, we provide either a book, an article or a video that we think leaders might have an interest in. So you can subscribe to that through our website. Uh, we provide some other resources, books and articles. Uh, we're also actively presenting across the country with different church groups. So mm. uh, can be invited in to talk about some of our research um, as part of our national survey. Uh, congregations that get involved, we're also providing a congregation specific report afterwards so that you get data on how your congregation has at responded. your local level. Yeah, at the local level. So we're trying to really share wow. as many resources that would be helpful and useful at the local level uh, that both frames the large picture of what's going on, Absolutely. but what this looks like in a local context. Those are some of the things, social media and other things. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Now, um, this might be a, a weird question, and so do with it as you will. Sure. Um, I mean, in identifying where the flourishing churches are, you're also identifying where they're not. True. Yeah. There's some of that as well. Yep. Right. Um, would you have any words of encouragement? Would you have any, uh, like, I know that you're taking this from a, uh, from a data driven yep. place, yep. but would you have something to say to maybe a pastor or a leader that feels like if they were to listen to this, they're like, man, I don't feel like I'm in a flourishing church. Right. Um, but maybe, maybe you're still kind of waiting on the data to, to really, to really um, tease that out to see the trends and, you know. Yeah, no, there's a couple of things I would say. Uh, one of the things we've learned is that I think most, if not all congregations are flourishing in some ways hmm. and some are flourishing in some areas more than they are in others. And perhaps there's opportunities for pastors and church leaders to reflect on, you know, what are the strengths of our congregation? We might not be strong in every area, but frankly, no congregation is strong in every area. So I think that can be a helpful, not to say a diagnostic, but conversation sure. starter. And I'd say the other thing I, 
that I would focus on is um, being clear on what the congregation's uh, mission and identity is for this time and place for that specific congregation. Because if you're not clear on your identity, then I think congregations are moving in all kinds of perhaps well-intentioned, well-meaning directions, but isn't actually focusing their energy. And uh, I think having clarity about those things then becomes a filter to decide what is it that we're going to do and what is it that we're not going to do? Yeah. What do we say yes to? What do we say no to? And that becomes a common prism or filter to evaluate those things. So am I right to say it's kind of answering the why? Why are we here? Yeah, for sure. For sure. And then out of that, it informs those other things. Okay, this is why we're here. Yep. Then what do we do? Absolutely. You know, that type of thing. Yeah. Um, now, I'm just thinking of it because I work within the church. It seems beneficial to me. Uh, based on what you said, to gather pastors and leaders together, you know, um, maybe for a conference of some kind, to have these types of conversations, to see where our strengths and the things that are working and the things that aren't be able to talk. Um, I'm not asking you to speak to that. I just, just is my brain processing that something like that would be very beneficial and I would go to in the year 2020. Yeah, those things are fantastic. I will endorse that. Well, Helen, thank you, Joel, very much. Joel, was there anything else that you wanted to throw to throw out before um, before we move up, move to your right? And yeah, that's a great. You know what? I would just say it's valuable for churches to lean into empirical data that's Canadian based and to yeah. have data-driven approaches to how we think about ministry. It's not to the exclusion of good theology to spirit-driven congregations, etc. but there's some valuable things we know about society and congregational life and to lean into that as a starting base for, uh, for doing ministry. So I'll leave it at that. Well, and I'm just going to say one thing to that and then, and then we'll, I, Helen, I'd love to hear from you. I, 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 and this is not a knock about any other country or their statistics or anything like that, but I can't tell you the amount of times I hear statistics about, you know, churches and attendance and all that, and it's not us. It, it, it's not related to us, and it doesn't give us a clear picture. And that, I, whether it's in sermons that I hear someone quote a statistic about, about something, when really that's, and, and you know, they're our neighbors and, and we love them, but, you know, it's, it's, it's American. It's, well, it's, you know, United States statistics, and that's not us, right? We, I'm sure it's different. Um, so I'm really, I'm really encouraged, Joel, to hear that, that we're looking, that we're actually, that there's people really looking into the church in Canada and seeing where, where are we weak? Where are we strong? Let's celebrate the strong. Let's get together and let's, let's work together. Uh, and I love that you're, uh, that it, it seems like a holistic approach to me in, in that it's not just focused in, cause you know, it's not just focused in the Protestant church, right? Like this is, it's. The universal, it, it's the Catholic universal yes. church, right? Yep, yep. No, that is core to our DNA, an ecumenical approach across the uh, the Christian spectrum. Yep. Much to learn from across the spectrum. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you, Joel. And and there'll be more time. Looking forward to hearing more from you a, a little bit. Helen. Oh, words of wisdom. Here we go. Yes. So, Helen, uh, I... I had the pleasure of meeting you because we both kind of work in, in similar circles, so to speak. Um, Helen oversees me and keeps me in line. Um, <laughs> I, as you, the listener, know, I get to work. I have the privilege of serving um, Canada Atlantic uh, as, a, as a district, what we call a district president, which just means I try to assist and help with the local level. But then above me, keeping those what we call district presidents in line and keeping the vision for all of us and keeping the vision for the nation, for our youth, we have our regional 
what we call regional NYI director, Nazarene Youth International is what NYI means. Um, and that is Helen, Helen Thiessen, and so much more, not just that, oh. but... Um, but I was really excited, Helen, to be able to, to talk with you kind of about your role. And, and maybe you can explain more about what your role looks like and ministry in Canada with, with youth and young adults, um, what you've seen, you know, what encourages you, where, what, 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 maybe what we need to be doing. I really just want to turn this over to you, Helen, to <laughs> just, just bring the heat. Yeah, well, I, I don't do important data and important research, but I take that brain stuff and then uh, uh, help make it uh, on a practical level for us in the church and uh, what we're doing. Uh, my role is not to oversee and keep you in line, but is to support you, pray for you, uh, pray for our youth, but particularly our youth workers across Canada and the Church of the Nazarene mm-hmm. and uh, represent us um, at uh, the bigger table. So quite often in organizations, uh, um, people are planning, people are thinking, but are they thinking of every different um, group of people that could participate, that can be involved? And for us, that's youth, our youth and our youth leaders. So uh, we've historically talked about the next generation, the next, but it's the now. So what are we doing now for um, our youth and our youth leaders? And how do we shape the world and shape them and hand it over to them mm-hmm. uh, and trust them with it and allow them to lead us. Have you observed a trend, a, sh- a shift in the trend of um, maybe the language, what you just said? I've, I've heard, I've always heard, you know, the youth are the church of tomorrow, but, but it seems to me that the youth are tired of that and they recognize, uh, hopefully, that they are the church now that God has given them giftings and graces to be used now for the kingdom. Um, have you seen a shift in, in that um, where, where people are identifying that and, and trying to lead youth to be the leaders right now? That doesn't mean, and, and forgive me, that doesn't mean I give you know, the, the keys to the church to a 14-year-old teenager, but I would. No, I'm, or would I? <laughs> it's a good question. I may have just lost a job. No, there's definitely been a shift in the language. I think where uh, we've now gotten used as adults, as older people uh, who are in charge, we've gotten used to the language of the youth are uh, the church of now, the church of mm-hmm. today. Uh, I'm not quite sure our actions I was gonna ask, back so that thank up, you. but I think we've gotten to the words of the transition, but I don't think we know how to actually uh, make that happen. And yeah. what does that mean? Because I don't think we want to give over the keys. We don't trust them yet. And uh, so that's hard. How do we do that? And what do we do? And how do we let go? It, it just struck me as you were saying that um, when I, sometimes when I think, I mean, I, I was a youth and the, the church invested in me as a musician and allowed me to come on the stage and I wasn't great. And my, and my band, we were loud. We were, you know, and as teenagers in leadership, we were messy. We were, you know, but then I think, you know, sometimes when the Holy Spirit gets, gets going, things get messy. When I give up control and allow the whole, you know, so maybe, maybe the teenagers are, maybe we need to give a li- up a little bit more control and let things get messy from time to time. I agree. I agree. I think it's, uh, if we are trusting how we have invested in them, mm-hmm. then we need to know when to let go and what to let go and let them really take charge of. Sure. So let me ask you this, Helen, you, you get to see kind of a, a grander picture from across the country, um, where I know that for me, I'm focused more on Canada Atlantic, <coughs> excuse me. Uh, 
you know, we, we used to have, we used to talk about how th- there was this critical age when students would be going from high school into university and that we were losing, we were losing students at that point. Then I was hearing, uh, you know, that between middle school and high school, it seemed like we were losing them. Now it seems I'm hearing that even before they get into junior high, we're losing them. Can you speak to that at all? Do you, have you noticed or, um, or heard or um, observed an age where it seems like there's this critical moment that, that if, if we're not really intentional, I mean, we need to be intentional about them all, but that maybe we're missing something somewhere? I, I can't speak to the exact, like, is there one age that's more prominent than others? Right. But I do know it's those transitions. And there's mm-hmm. research in that that both my husband Joel talks about and many people speak on different generations. So when somebody leaves kids ministry and goes to junior high, when yeah. somebody leaves junior high and goes to senior high, when leaves senior high and goes to college age or what, yeah. or who knows. Um, and then you add into that, that the most informative years of a young person's life, um, I think we're that 17 to 22 year old, mm-hmm. uh, when they're really starting to make decisions historically of, because they leave home, they go out to university or they get a job and live by themselves. Yep. But now they're not, they're staying home. <laughs> so they're yeah. not actually making those adult decisions that we like to say, um, which toothpaste should I buy? Will I be Colgate or will I be Crest? Will I be Pepsi? Will I be Coke? That's a good question for later. They're not not, uh, uh, deciding that because they still don't have to. So I think there was a research study that came out um, that BBC News actually quoted that adolescence has now gone right up until I think it's like 27 or 28. It's late in the 20s because the development of um, youth and young adults is being delayed and delayed um, for a variety of reasons. Yet in culture, there is this contrary of they're more grown up and more mm-hmm. adults and dealing with more adult issues at a younger age. So you have this really weird dynamic, I think, and how mm-hmm. does the church or how do we as youth leaders or youth workers actually address that? You have 12 year olds that are dealing with high anxiety yeah. um, or then you have a 26 year old that's never lived on their own. Yeah. So it, you have this kind of um, broad case there. So I think that's the, those are some of the challenges you see. It's those transitions and the transitions are getting muddier and uh, messier mm-hmm. and prolonged. Wow. I just need to do something really quickly. Uh, Harmony and Jaden. Harmony, you're nine years old. You have nine years left. And then you're, <laughs> you're out. Jaden, you are six. Uh, I can do this math. Well, well, well. You, you have 12 years left. <laughs> Parents say that. But parents don't want to let them go and parents don't want them to move out. That's true. Guys, I love you. (laughs) You're always welcome. But you're moving out at 18. Um, Helen, you also, I mean, mean, we can talk about this more in other detail, but um, you also, not only do you do that for NYI, would you like to speak uh, a little bit about your other role at all? Yeah, it's kind of connected in some ways. Mm-hmm. Um, my full-time job is I work at Ambrose University, which is the Church of the Nazarene um, Christian University located in Calgary, Alberta. And um, we're a school of about 900 plus students. And from a variety of um, ministry preparation to a seminary to uh, a biology major uh, to uh, English major, so a variety of education there. Um, so I work in enrollment management there and uh, 
uh, oversee everything from recruitment and admissions all the way through to uh, student success on campus mm. and uh, how do we support our students there. And I really see that as a tie-in um, because I really believe in the development of youth yeah. um, and young adults and really see our youth coming from the church um, less and less educated in um, in their faith and yeah. less and less secure in their faith and not know how to talk about their faith or really mm. why they believe. And we're a place that um, contrary, uh, it's not necessarily a safe place. We don't want to be a safe place where you can come and just sort of get on with that and deal with that. Right. We actually wanna challenge you and push you and help you be able to articulate yourself and who you are in Christ and why you are that way. It doesn't mean you're always going to be like that. Right. Um, but can you talk to somebody and share your faith? And more and more youth are not able to do that in young adults and not sure why. Sure. So, um, so now could you, could you speak to Christian higher education, just the, the importance of that regardless of, um, and I know that you work at Ambrose, so I'm not trying to put you in an awkward position at all, but just the importance of, you know, um, you identified something extremely uh, important, you know, biblical literacy, you know, kids knowing, kids knowing scripture, people knowing what the word says, but not just knowing it up in their head, but actually like connecting it with how they live and, and having that relationship and being able to articulate their faith. So um, could you speak to Christian higher education and the importance that you, that you see in that? Uh, uh, clearly that you both do, because you both work, you know, with, within that. Um, so there must be some reasons why you feel that that's important. <laughs> yeah, no, and regardless if it's Ambrose or anywhere, um, it's uh, very interesting when we talk about Canadian Christian higher ed and mm. even as um, in contrast with um, the U.S. model of Christian higher ed. And in the U.S., it's a given. It's accepted, it's valued, and it would be the place to go. Whereas in Canada... We're just not sure. We don't think it's going to be good. We don't think it's needed. Uh, we talk with families who are like, no, we're, we've got our, our sons really sound in their faith at home and in their church. They don't need to go into Christian um, higher education or be in that environment, regardless of what the degree or program choice is. Um, but I really think, I, and I, the data speaks to this too across is more and more are less sure of their faith, less uh, biblical literacy in itself, but also that place where they can ask those questions and explore their faith mm -hmm. and um, be sure of it. And even more so in today's Canadian culture where um, we as Christians are under attack. Yep. Um, we are um, up against the wall. We are having to be able to defend and say who we are and why we believe that and why that's important. And we can't judge. Yeah. <laughs> Heaven forbid we judge. And in Canada, we need to apologize for who we are. But that is showing that religion is on the decline in Canada uh, in a lot of ways too, from a variety of factors. But why would we not... Uh, send our Christian youth to a place of Christian higher education where they can not be isolated from the world. Mm -hmm. It's not about that. It's not to take them away from that, um, but it's so they can explore the world um, through a new lens and through a different lens of where God has spoken into their lives and they can see differently for themselves mm -hmm. and be strong in their own faith and stronger that when they leave, they're equipped 
um, in many ways that the local church can do an augment, the family can do an augment, and peers can do an augment in some extent, but uh, in the space of a, a, a higher education format, it automatically lends itself to that. So why not do that in a biology classroom? Or why not do that in a sociology of sport class? So there's a lot of uh, ways to do that. So Joel, you may have something about Christian higher ed too, I don't know. Oh, that's good. I'm just enjoying listening to you. You're so sharp and articulate. This yeah. is this is great. That was good. Do you, do you think, and uh, I'm not sure if this applies at all, so we can cut this if it doesn't. <laughs> um, you know the mentality sometimes, um, so if we were to take, let's, Marvel movies, not a sponsor, okay? But Marvel movies, that they have this, you, you know that there's going to be this quality that you can guarantee you're going to get with a Marvel movie, right? Uh, high budget, high production value, all that kind of stuff. But sometimes when you hear, well, hey, have you seen this new Christian movie? You go, uh, Christian movies are sometimes a little, you know, you, you, for whatever That's reason. That's exactly it. And, and, and is, there, is there a similar mentality sometimes when we think about Christian, higher Christian education? Yeah, so I think you're absolutely right. There is this perception with uh, Christian higher education does not equal quality in Canada. As soon as you add a Christian thing, it's a bit of rolling eyes and uh, what's that going to really look like? And uh, is it really going to get me where I want? As well as in the Canadian context, saying that you're Christian doesn't actually... Uh, help you. It doesn't get you further ahead. It doesn't have a good reputation, a brand as overarching. Never mind. Uh, so when brand quality means so much to people, uh, whether someone buys an Apple or whether they buy a Huawei phone or whether they're, uh, you know, so it really is uh, driven by that and our own desire for that. So absolutely, that's totally what uh, what really hampers Christian higher education in Canada. Um, in regard regardless of whether it's the same quality faculty who are have their doctorates, they're on top of their research. And the value added is you're in a Christian environment, but the value added is not considered valuable in Canada, even within the Christian context, which is a little scary and strange in some ways. But Yeah. Uh, is, there, is, is there a way that we can combat that, that we can change that narrative, that we can, you know, change the perception? Because uh, I'm sure you've heard this, you know, perception is reality whether it's true or not, someone's perception is their reality. And so that's, you know, how do we change that? I'll, I'll jump in here. And I think that, and I can only speak as a faculty member and as a researcher that you, you need to showcase high quality education uh, on the front lines. So, I mean, among our, some of my colleagues who have graduated PhDs from McGill and Harvard and so forth to uh, publishing with high-end publishers, Oxford University Press, McGill, Queens, New York University Press, those kinds of things. None of these places are sponsors. Continue. Yes, yes. <laughs> and then uh, I think it's in the actual dissemination of research. So one example, I was speaking last week with about 65 leaders in Lethbridge, Alberta from different uh, Christian traditions. And an individual came up to me afterwards and I don't say this to toot my own horn, but this, uh, this sense that they really valued the ability to convey research in an understandable way, but in things that are significant and of high caliber, that they really wanted their daughter to be exposed to that kind of education. Mm. And I think the more that 
us as faculty can engage with uh, parents, church leaders, and, and students that we have to market ourselves in such a way to sh- demonstrate the high quality right. that provides a compelling narrative for them where they don't associate Christian with lower quality. Um, all of the standards are the same uh, of what we need to do to obtain our degrees, to maintain our research activity, yep. uh, and to produce high quality research as well. All right. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, it's now time for the Not A Sponsor segment of the show, the part of the show where we highlight a product that we feel does it better than anybody else but won't support us financially. The flu has taken over my home. All my kids have had it. My wife and I are washing our hands like crazy, and I'm not sure what you reach for when you're feeling sick. Harmony, what do you reach for when you're feeling sick? I do not know. Well, Harmony, let me tell you, Pepto-Bismol has got you covered, Harmony, for all your upset stomach needs. Nausea, heartburn. Hey, Harmony, did you have nausea? Were you feeling like you were going to throw up? Yes. Uh, Heartburn, indigestion. Harmony, did you have upset stomach? Yes. And diarrhea. Those are the five symptoms Pepto-Bismol can cure. We tried giving her some other medicines that we're not going to name. Gravol, not a sponsor. And that didn't help. Harmony, what happened when you had that medicine? I threw up. So what are you going to reach for now when you or your kids are feeling that upset stomach? You're going to go for the Pepto-Bismol. You can find it in a liquid or a chewable. Pepto-Bismol. They've got those five symptoms covered. Not a sponsor. Well, welcome back, listeners. Thanks for sticking with us. And we're going to move into our Wesley question, um, the part of this show where, as you know, we're looking at today one of the 22 questions that John, Charles, and a group of uh, young men would ask each other as they got together uh, at Oxford University. And it was for an accountability group. So they would ask these questions each time they gathered together. And we're just kind of looking at them uh, to see, you know, do we feel that these questions are important? What do they say to us? You know, uh, do we even want to answer them ourselves? I've been up against some of that. I'm like, I don't want to answer that. That's just a little bit too much. But, um, and I've been avoiding this question because for, for a while, you know, there's 22 of them and some of them are tough. And this one I looked at and I'm like, I'm not sure how to answer this. So I'm really glad you guys are here. Uh, the question that we have before us is this, am I self-conscious, self-pitying or self-justifying? Definitely a focus on the self. Um, And so they would ask this question each time. So I'm wondering, you know, um, now I will just say this last thing, Uh, Joel, I know that, that I can see it on your, I can see it in your eyes. You've got something for this. Uh, not because you told me during the break, but, um, when they would ask these questions, I think, you know, it's taken us 50 minutes to get to this place. So for this group of men that are asking 22 questions, were these meant to be deep theological moments for them or, or were they focal points to keep them, you know, on, on task or, you know, just to keep their minds going? Maybe they spent time on one. I, I have no idea. I don't know. Although I met somebody today, um, Stan, Rhodes. Stan Rhodes, who actually did his doctoral dissertation on John Wesley. And so I'm really interested to have some more conversation with him. Stan, if you're listening, I'm coming for you. Uh, That sounded threatening. No, I'm not. Joel, why don't you talk, uh, talk to us about this a little bit and what you're thinking. So the question again, because I've really gone off the rails here is, am I self-conscious, self-pitying or self-justifying? Well, I'd probably talk about what 
the goal or the ideal might be. And I'm not sure that self-pity is is the goal, though I think there's lots of that around. And I think there's different social shifts and changes, uh, particularly with social media, that we have yep. all kinds of self-pity. We look at what appear to be the best lives ever of everyone else on social mm. media. Um, but I, I'm not sure that that's helpful um, psychologically, sociologically, theologically. Uh, Self-justifying. Uh, sometimes, I mean, you think back to um, early in Genesis where uh, you look at Adam and Eve self-justifying their yeah. particular behaviors and you see patterns of this throughout uh, the Old Testament in particular. And uh, again, I'm not sure that that's particularly helpful theologically or otherwise. Yeah. I think self-conscious is a, a helpful way forward. I think it's good to be aware of how we think of ourselves and others. And, and I think theologically it's rooted in an understanding of being created in God's image and being secure within that mm-hmm. uh, and to be conscious, aware, and attentive to both our strengths and limitations and not sure. to be so far to the extreme of one or the other, but to have a healthy um, self-awareness and to help have good people around us who help to keep us honest, um, full of integrity. And as we are, um, I would say, conscious and aware of who we are to have others speak into that yeah. and to, um, I think, ask us good questions that encourage us to be self-conscious throughout just, yeah, throughout the life course and different experiences. So those are my thoughts. Well, and I think you make a good point. So self-conscious in, in the, in the, in the framework of kind of self-evaluation. Yeah. Um, but there is, you know, sometimes the self-conscious when you, when I, and when, when I read it, I thought about people that, um, are so self-conscious yeah, yeah. that despite their giftings and their graces, they never step into the, the identity that they're called into because they're, so I can't do that. How, who am I, you know? And, and it's not about pride. It's not about, it's not about that the opposite of self-consciousness is pride. Yeah. Uh, that's not the case. But what, you know, what does that look like for someone to step into a place where, where they're stepping out of that? It's, it's not about, how do I put this, Helen? You're, you know, it's not, it's not about, you have to be bold and brash, you know, but it's about being confident in who you are in Christ. Um, it's the whole world, the whole word self that leads off any of these uh, words just puts me off. Mm. So none of them seem, it's hard to get to the, the conscious justifying uh, pity component. Not that those are any better words, but the self is just, again, we reduce everything to me, me, me. Yeah. And yeah, we have to have that healthy awareness. We even had a session at our church on just um, open our eyes to ourselves and who we are, but who sure. God has created in his own image um, and inside of us. But I, this whole self preoccupation preoccupation with um, uh, ourselves, I think hampers us from moving forward and being bold and being confident that why don't we just relax? God Mm. create us who we are. If we're so tight in our relationship with God and so confident in him, then we should be, that should flow into being confident in who we are in situations that we don't have to really just be so preoccupied with ourselves. Hmm. I like that, Helen. If you're listening to this and you and you're like, yeah, you know what? I think that's me. I want you to know, listener, that you were created by an Almighty God. You were fearfully and wonderfully made, and step into uh, step into the future that He had, like who you who you were created to be. Um, 
Yeah, that I mean, in my mind, that's just kind of what I would want to tell someone. Sometimes I want to smack some people. <laughs> <laughs> but it's so important. Yeah. It's if we don't lose sight of that, but we deal with um, people and we are people that are so lacking confidence and who God, not just in ourselves, but then we're lacking confidence in who God has created and put in us. And, and we do this so often. I think you hit something there. How often do we compare ourselves to other people? Mm-hmm. I, I have a mentor in my life that I, you know, I just, I look up to and the, you know, the spiritual depth that this person has, I'm like, I want that, but I wanted it so bad for so long that I want it to be that person and I, I and, and it, it you know it kind of eroded like I'm supposed to be me right yeah I was I, I wasn't I wasn't working towards who God has called me to be I was working towards I want to be like this person and this person's good and the things they're doing <laughs> are good but that's not me and so I, I I'm just it's just me um, Brad I dealt with some you know self-conscious self-conscious you know issues of you know just being just being comfortable in, in who God created me to be Faults, failures, ADHD. Yeah. Ooh. No, it, everything's Ooh, out shiny. there. <laughs> Squirrel. Squirrel. <laughs> St- oh, my word. Story of my life. Guys, I, I, sorry, I'll just add this. That please. No. One of the common threads here is the role and power of social ties and community because we need family members, friends, teachers, church leaders, etc., who are affirming all the things we just talked about and we yes. would agree, but those things don't just come out of a vacuum, right? right? That we, we are taught and socialized and trained to value ourselves in these ways. And if we don't have those influences, then it becomes that much more difficult. And it doesn't mean that just because we have those influences, we therefore will overcome those things, but it can play a significant role in um, overcoming those sooner rather than later mm-hmm. and the significance and magnitude. Um, so those social ties are really, really important in that process. Takes a community. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Thanks, guys. Um, before I move on from that, you know, I, I will say, and I think we would all agree, I think this is a good, a good question to be looking at uh, in a group, especially for, you know, accountability to each other and, and things like that. Um, Helen, you look like you, had, you were moving towards the mic. No, no, I got nothing else. But, I'm but, good. And yet you moved towards the mic. <laughs> Just to say no. Oh, <laughs> but, but you moved there before. Is that predestination? Are we going to get into that? Oh, no. <clears throat> All right, guys, we're wrapping this thing up. I'm going to hit you with a couple of big, hard-hitting questions that really tie this whole thing together. Are owls blind during the daytime? Does it matter? Nope. Moving on. Thanks, Ellen. Just say, who cares? Uh, this person. Some, listen, someone took the time to go on Yahoo Answers and write this question. And are we really going to disrespect them with a who cares kind of answer? Okay, good point. I, I want to know. <laughs> and I want you to prove to me, one way or the other, are owls blind during the daytime? Yeah, I'm out. Sociologist? What does the data say? What's the data? I'm out. <laughs> oh, my word. It's on me. All right. Next question. Uh, this now, listen, I think we would all acknowledge that the debt load in Canada is at an all-time high. Uh, I think that's probably one of the realities that we're faced with. So I think this question comes from maybe that place of just not grasping money. If I cut up my credit card, cancel it, and send it back, okay, so far so good, do I still have to pay the balance due? I don't think I should. I don't think I should have to because I don't have the card anymore. I asked my friend, but he doesn't know. So a little bit of, you know, 
a uh, little bit of financial trouble here, perhaps. I'm going to try that with my mortgage papers too. Oh, shoot. Yeah. Maybe student loan papers. Uh, yes. There's lots of examples. Oh, I need to get home now. <laughs> yes, let's bring out the shredder. In the drawers. Yeah. Whoa, shredder. Now, you know, I mean, we've all been there, right? We've all had the credit cards and all that kind of stuff. And uh, is, this, it, is this how this works? Do you think the bank would honor that? There's no way. What kind of question is that? It's a, it's a Yahoo Answers question. <laughs> I know, I know teachers say there's no such thing as a dumb question, but that's a lie. There oh. actually are some questions. We found one. <laughs> listen, if you're, if, you're the list, if you're the writer of this question, and I definitely think you're listening to this podcast, um, cutting up your credit card, good, because it sounds like you've maxed it out. Canceling it, also good. Why are you sending back a cut up credit card to the company? I don't get that. Um, and yes, you have to pay your balance due. Because uh, you know what? Here's how it works. At, le- if you're, at least if you're in Canada. Um, here's some Canadian Data. stuff. Unfortunately, uh, I'll tell you both why later. <laughs> if you leave your credit card too long, unpaid, someone called a creditor calls. What? And they're not affiliated so much with the bank. They're more of a collections person that threatens to take you to court if you don't pay uh, this credit card balance in the next however long. Now, you might think this is a scheme. You might think that this is somebody calling that you want to cruise. It is not. Um, They are calling because they're going to take you to court or take your stuff if you don't pay off this credit card. And so you do what some some crazy people do. They sell some of their best guitars to go pay off credit cards. And, and, you know, I'm going to assume you're in your 20s. I feel your pain. (laughs) We've all been there. (laughs) It's like a bad game of Monopoly. Oh, it's the worst. Uh, can I also recommend finding new friends? Because this friend doesn't know. <laughs> you still have to pay your balance? You serious? Uh, welcome to the real world. Welcome to the real world. Maybe I wonder if this... Never mind. Never mind. <laughs> okay, guys. Thank you so much for taking the time uh, to be with us and the O Club. And uh, before we go, I would love to get just, uh, we usually like to get a book and a music recommendation. So uh, why don't we split the difference here? Because I'm told Helen doesn't read. Oh. <laughs> sorry for the, sorry for the throwing you under the bus. It's true. It's a bit of a hardship. Uh, weren't you talking about biblical literacy and the importance <laughs> of that? That's knowledge. Oh, okay. So uh, why don't we start with the book recommendation? Joel, I believe you're probably going to be the one to toss out a book. One of the best books I've read in the last couple of years. You're not going to expect this. You think a sociological book, but I'm not going to bore anyone with that. Uh, yeah. yeah, I know. I know. Yeah. Uh, we dodged a bullet. Yeah, you you all did. Though you should read my book while we're on it. The Meaning of Sunday. It's a great book, Religion in Canada. But that's not the book. That's your book? That's my book, yes. Uh, please. So um, you, you should check that out. The how, Meaning of Sunday. How will we, how we find that? You can find it on McGill Queen's okay. website, Amazon, Chapters, my own website. Uh, yeah. What's your website again? JoelTeason.ca. Okay. Yeah. But now for the real book recommendation. Fantastic. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Richard Rohr wrote a book titled Falling Upward. And it's a book about the two halves of life and how we age and how we should age well and how to think theologically very well and astutely about the different seasons of life. Uh, It's a book every person on earth should read. That's my recommendation. There's a challenge right there. If you are listening, you are not exempt. Go find that book. Thank you, Joel. Helen, would you give us a music recommendation? 
Uh, this is very hard for me because I love music okay. and I love all kinds of music and I love listening to every country. Okay, that's true. Country is yeah. definitely not yeah. for me. But jazz, orchestral, classical, Ooh, yeah. musicals to... Anyways, folk. Uh, but I think one of my favorite uh, pieces of music is uh, The Prayer Cycle, which is a symphony orchestral nine movement piece um, that walks you through a prayer cycle, really. So anyways, I just leave that out there. Everything from Alanis Morissette to uh, uh, James Taylor. Uh, who else? I don't know. There's lots of people on it, but it's just a really beautiful piece of music. So. Wow. Yeah. Or. Oh, here. Okay. Now this is the real recommendation, folks. Any soundtrack by Ennio Morricone. Any movie movie soundtrack by Ennio Morricone, one of the most famous musical soundtrack score writers in the history of the planet. <laughs> Man, you guys have a global view of, of books and music. Well, all right, listeners, you can go check those things out. Thanks again to uh, to Joel and Helen for being here with us. And thank you, listener, for taking the time to spend it with us. Remember that you can follow our podcast on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Oxford Holy Club. And you can email us your questions so that we can answer them, sometimes sarcastically, sometimes we... We want to help, for real. OxfordHolyClub at gmail.com. And don't forget, if you do use the social medias, to use the hashtag OClub, O-H-C-L-U-B. So, until next time, keep spiritually fit and have fun. <laughs>